Good afternoon, Storehouse. If you could please join me in standing for the reading of God's word. We find ourselves in 2 Thessalonians 16 through 18, and it says this, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The word of God for the people of God. All right, Storehouse. Well, good afternoon. It is, uh, it is a pleasure and an honor once again to be here with you guys on this uh, beautiful, I guess, maybe not so hot uh, Sunday afternoon. But, uh, but yeah, nonetheless, thank you guys so much for joining us today. If you are new to Storehouse, welcome. We are so glad that you are here. Uh, my name is Tony. I serve as one of the pastoral candidates here at Storehouse McAllen, along with doing other behind-the-scenes type of work here along with the church. Uh, we're so grateful to have you guys as our guest. Um, and if you are new here, we'd love to get to know you. We'd love to connect with you, whether it's catch up, to, to pray for you, uh, to go for a cup of coffee, maybe lunch, dinner, whatever it is. You even have questions, we'd love to connect with you. We can do that because we have some of those connect cards uh, along the pews there that you can turn in at the connect desk at the foyer uh, so that we can go in and connect with you. Along with that, we also love God's word. We love preaching from God's word. And so with that, we love to give you God's word. We also have a couple of Bibles there on the pews that if you don't have one or you know someone who may benefit from one, please take that. It is our gift to you. Uh, so with that being said, church, we are going to be closing off uh, the second letter to the Thessalonians today. If you guys did not hear Brother Andrew, he, we are going to be finishing off chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. Man, I feel as if I'm the one who's been preaching throughout this whole series, and I haven't. I'm like, man, I'm the one who's closing it. And for some reason, I'm like relieved as like if it's not just the second time I preach on it. So, uh, but anyways, I'm going to do my best to go ahead and, and do justice to the text along with keeping it concise. So I'm going to go ahead and read our text for today, and then we'll go ahead and pray, and we'll jump right into it. So this is the word of God, and it says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Let us pray. Father God, we just thank you so much. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you because you have lavished it on us through your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, because we get to breathe a new day, Lord. Thank you because we get to gather here together as one to worship you and to uh, admire your beauty and as well as your splendor and glory, Lord. Thank you for saving us and bringing us uh, into you and in this family, Lord. I pray that as we go through this, Lord, that you, Holy Spirit, work in the hearts of every single individual, that, Lord, that it be you who speaks through me and not myself, and that, Lord, that you may bring us to a greater conviction of who you are and what it is that we've been called to in you. Thank you, Jesus, and we ask this in your name, amen. All right, so with that, if you are joining us for the first time, we have been going through a sermon series called Steadfast, and today we're going to be closing off on that, uh, on that series. And so in this case, for the past couple of months, if you haven't been with us or if you have been with us, we've been working through the first and the second letter to the Thessalonians in which Paul had written to. And so just for a, a brief contextual 
overview for those who are joining us for the first time or who, uh, you know, who've been joining us from here to there. I'm just going to go ahead and give us a little overview as we wrap up this last portion of our text. So just as a reminder, obviously, Paul is writing again to this church in Thessalonica with these believers in whom he planted this church at. This church was going through uh, various things while at the very same time being a very captivating witness to those around them and to surrounding cities. And Paul at the beginning of this letter is once again in, is, uh, is encouraging them, is affirming them, and is also praising them for their faith and their love that they have been a witness of to those around them and to the cities. The second thing, he goes on to address false teaching that was circulating around the church and the community regarding the second coming of Jesus along with the, the judgment that was to come as well. And Paul ensures them about this uh, in the first chapter regarding that second coming and as well as in chapter two regarding as to what that is actually gonna look like uh, when it is the end time, so to say. And then he also went ahead and affirm them regarding the importance of needing to stand firm in the midst of trials and suffering and how the, the foundation of being able to do that is the love of God for them and the faithfulness of Christ in them. And last week, like y'all knew, um, it was, we were walking through, he was exhorting and now correcting issues that were going on within the church itself regarding brothers and idleness and his encouragement to have them repent back and turn to the Lord to help bring about some order and as well as we will see today, peace among what was going on. And so for today, this is our main idea. Our main idea for today is our steadfastness in the Lord is a direct outcome of the source and pursuit of our peace. Again, our steadfastness in the Lord in which we're called to is a direct outcome of the source and the pursuit of our peace. So now finally after Paul finishes addressing everybody in terms of like, all right, he got everything out of the way, he made sure that he checked off the list, nothing else was forgotten, now he goes off to close the letter and he does it in a very Paul-like manner. And he does it through a benediction or a prayer or a blessing of encouragement after everything that was being spoken. and remembering that these brothers obviously were going through things and that there was difficult moments happening whether it was among one another or was among the community around them. And Paul is wanting them to at the same time stay faithful and encourage in the midst of these things or in the midst of following Jesus. So to no surprise, we will see that Paul desires and calls these brothers along with ourselves, to obtain the peace in the midst of moments like these. So the first point that we have is the Lord of peace. And it's verse 16, I'll go ahead and read it, and it says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. And so it's amazing to know that Paul, after closing off everything that he's saying, he wants these individuals, he desires for these individuals to have the peace of God, to receive the peace of the Lord in this case. But it is amazing to know how he starts off in this and saying now, and this word now can also be translated to in addition. It's a transitional word used to communicate a response to or in contrast to what was just previously said. So after saying all these things, he's basically saying that after all these things, this is what I want you guys to know. In light of everything that was just spoken, in light of everything in which I just told you, 
This is what I want for you guys. You know, so we see that these brothers were experiencing uneasiness, and obviously there was turmoil, whether it was fear or was it just conflict happening within. And so Paul says, in the midst of all that, this is what I desire for you, and this is what I'm asking for you. The way that Paul goes to communicate shows us the very thing in which he knows we need in order for us to actually do any of the things in which he just commanded or the things that he was just teaching them by saying that, again, now may the Lord of peace himself. It could be really easy for us to make the mistake of thinking or hearing commands and saying, all right, Lord, I'm on it. It's my turn, let's do it, I got it, I heard you, now let's go, and be able to respond to our calling outside of the loving grace of the Lord Jesus for us. And when we do so, when we disregard what it is that actually propels us to do this, to respond faithful, we actually end up in anxiousness, in fear, in dread, in frustration, or even in bitterness sometimes because we lose sight of what is and who is actually at work in us in these things. And so Paul now goes on to say, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. Church, we must acknowledge that our ability to remain steadfast, meaning our ability to remain faithful, our our ability to to have endurance in the midst of things like trials, conflict, difficulties, or even suffering, he wants them to be unmoved, not by what they can do, but by what God will do and what God does. The first thing that I want us to see here is what does the word peace even mean? What does the word peace even mean, right? So the Hebrew word is shalom. And in this case, the word is meant to embody a lot of things, such as the word peace, harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, and tranquility. And, and this is, this is a, a, whole, a, an, uh, a piece of wholeness, of complete. And in the Greek word, eteneus, this word is also means peace or harmony. So the interesting thing about this word peace is that all of us are familiar with it, we hear it, it's very popular, even nowadays we're like, hey, we're striving for world peace, those things, right? And so for the most part, peace has a pretty consistent and uh, continual definition. The only difference of it is actually in how and what we find peace in. And in this, I want to ask y'all, church, where do you find your peace? Because everybody wants peace. It is, it is this, it's this spiritual and at the same time a psychological phenomenon for all humanity to experience a sense of duress within oneself regarding the state in which they find themselves in. And so I wanna ask you, everybody wants peace. Everybody desires peace. The question is, where do you find your peace? Or what do you think your peace is supposed to look like? Some of us may think, oh, as long as I obtain or I'm put in this comfortable financial position, you know, as long as I can then have X amount of money to be able to provide for my family, then I know I'll be at peace knowing that I can take care of my family, right? Or some of us may even go about saying, man, if I only did not have to deal with certain people in my life who bring conflict, who bring distress, or who bring, uh, you know, this, this war within me and the things that I'm doing, maybe then I'd be at peace. 
Maybe it's finally getting your spouse to do the very thing that you've been asking them to do, but they don't do, and they know it's the one thing that always brings about fighting. If only they did that one thing, then finally we'd be at peace. If they only changed that one thing about them, then we'd finally, I'd finally be at peace. Or maybe it's, you know what, if we just lived in a community, in a society that can all just finally be socially and just in terms of the equity that we experience as a humanity, once we reach that type of utopic uh, life community, then we can reach peace. Or maybe it's, if my children just listen to me, and did what I said, and didn't actually go against the things or thought like a child or act like a child, then I wouldn't have to constantly be in distress or in conflict with them and then I'd finally be at peace. Or maybe it's your job. If I just finally had this job or if I did not have this job, you know, then I'd be at peace. Or maybe, for some of us, it's if you just didn't do that one thing that you did in your past, or if you can just forget about that one sin that you know the Lord already forgave you from, if I could just forget it out of my mind and not remember it anymore, or never had done it, then I could have finally been at peace. The list goes on. We find peace in everything and in anything, because our souls want rest and want security and comfort. And it could be the same with the church and these excuses. The church could have also, just like ourselves, would have believed that peace means to be voided of any circumstantial distress or to arrive to a point of where there is no conflict in your life or even suffering or to be in comfort. Whatever the case may be, think about it. These brothers could have been like, man, if there wasn't these false teachers, Paul, we wouldn't be panicking, them writing all these fake letters, getting us all wound up and whatnot. And maybe they, if there weren't them, we would be at peace. Or maybe we didn't have these idle brothers over here doing nothing. Maybe we could then finally be at peace. Or maybe the community or the society in which we're in, if they didn't hate us or oppose us, maybe then we'd be at peace. It's real easy to see peace as either a means to an absence or avoidance of conflict, distress, or suffering, or to be in a state of comfort. But the reality is that Paul's wanting them to know something. Hey, 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 the Lord of peace. He's telling them, he's wanting, he's not even advising them to say, hey, try to get rid of these circumstances in order for you to experience peace. Maybe once you finally, you know, do this, then you will experience peace once these circumstances have finally been seized. And he's not. He actually wants them to have peace in the midst of them. The problem is that we see peace as something to experience only in times of trouble rather than seeing it as something that we have in all moments. There is a reason why Paul states, may the Lord of peace himself, in the opening of this verse. What is Paul saying? The phrasing that Paul uses here, the Lord of peace, actually isn't used anywhere else in the New Testament. It's actually, uh, it's, it's, it's actually a very uh, uncommon uh, phrasing to title uh, Jesus in this case. But we see Paul use it in, uh, in 1 Corinthians when he goes about saying the God of peace. Or we see in Isaiah where we talk about the Prince of Peace applying to the title of, of the Messiah. But at this point, Paul is saying that the Lord of peace, who is the Lord? It is Jesus because Jesus is God and Jesus is the Messiah. And so it would be accurate to say that this is Jesus. 
And in this case, by attributing this title, he is stating that Jesus is the source, substance, and the one in whom peace belongs to. If we believe that Christ is the Lord of Peace Church, we must surrender our control for wanting to find it outside of him. You cannot say that, the, that Jesus is the Lord of peace and then say, I can find peace by, in addition to this. You can't, you can't. He is the Lord of peace. He is the source of it. He is the substance. He's wanting them to know that the very source, substance, and to the one whom peace belongs to, he is the one that gives it. So church, where do you run to find peace? We must recognize that true peace that man's soul desperately longs for is found in him who is the Lord of it. There's a reason why Paul states in Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace belongs, with, peace belongs to God, and so it starts with God. Man finds himself in, opposite, in the opposite of peace, longing for it and never finding it outside of Jesus because they are at war and in conflict and in distress with the one who is the Lord of it. Just think about it. If the source of peace is the one, is the one place that you're not getting it, but yet rather you're in opposition of it, how do you ever experience to actually have peace. You can't. This is the problem. Man finds himself in this position. Isaiah 57, 20 and 21 states, but the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet and its waters toss up, uh, refuse, and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Before man can be at peace with himself or with others, he must first be at peace with God. And the crazy thing is that Paul wanting them to know that they are in this position. These brothers are at peace with God because of Christ. And so that they could receive this peace and they can live in this peace. This peace is something that they can now experience in its truest and fullest form. When he states that the Lord of peace, Paul lets us know that these believers in their pursuit of peace is not something but rather someone The difference between peace that the world offers us and the peace that we possess are given in Christ is the Lord himself, church. That's why Paul states that the Lord of peace himself give you peace. Him. Jesus affirms this by his very words in John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives you, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. We need Jesus himself to give us the peace and nothing else. He is the Lord of peace. And he himself, Paul is saying, I himself, may him, the source, the substance, and to the one whom peace belongs to, may he himself give you the peace. Christian, right now, at this very moment, Christ offers us that peace. When Jesus says he gives us his peace, he meant it. How? Because he himself was an offering, a peace offering to God on the behalf of us and our sins. So when he says that he gives us peace, he literally meant it. Paul wants these believers to know 
that he wants them to be given the peace that comes from him who is the Lord of it. And that although we may have troubles, trials, distress, conflict, and even battles in this world, we have peace with him who is greater than all these things. And the second sub-point with this uh, uh, to the Lord of Peace is what is the type of peace? Paul gives us a brief description of who this Lord of Peace is, where the source of it is, and second, what type of peace it is. And he goes on to say, at all times and in every way, the Lord be with you all. Same verse. And as I mentioned earlier, sometimes we see peace as something that we get at the end of our troubles or in the midst of them or as a result of being in a state of comfort. But Paul here is telling them that he desires them to have this peace. I desire for y'all to have this peace truly at all times and in every way. For that is the peace that he offers us. He's letting us know that the peace is one that they possess because of Jesus and because it is one that is produced in them through the work of the Holy Spirit. So what type of peace do we have, church? The first thing is that we have a peace that is ever-present, meaning that it is not circumstantial and it does not only come when you think you need it. Rather, it's ever-present. It's either one in which you're walking in or you're walking outside of because it's either being produced in you through the work of the Holy Spirit or it's absent or lacking. It's not one that is circumstantial. Peace is not circumstantial. This peace that the Lord gives us is not circumstantial. It's ever-present at all times. The second thing is, this peace is a whole and complete peace. Meaning that in Christ, you don't need to add anything else, any additional conditions to increase your experience of this peace. We think it's like, okay, yes, Jesus, I know you'll give me your peace, but I also need this to happen in order for me to be at peace. We put conditions on the peace of God and it does not work that way. This is a whole peace that we have and it allows us not to only be moved, it allows us not to be moved or unsettled by a lack in our life or when we have much in our life. Because again, we could think that we have peace when everything is going well and actually we don't have peace. We have comfort and we find comfort not in Christ but in the things in which we have. This peace is whole and it leaves us to be unsettled or unmoved when we lack or when we don't have things or when we have much of things. This peace is complete, it doesn't need anything. And lastly, this peace is freeing, meaning that you aren't enslaved or overtaken by any matter or sin on this earth that can keep you from living in the hope of Christ. This peace frees us to actually live. How many of us are either enslaved or we're shackled to the things of this world because we think that we need them? When Christ calls us to live, there's a hope. This hope and this peace allows us to live in that hope. It frees us from any fears, doubts, guilt, because we know that Christ paid for it all and that we know that we stand secure in him in all things. Look at Paul's words in Philippians 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This peace protects us 
and guards our minds and our hearts in Christ against being overtaken by any of the worries, fears, troubles, or desires that the world may throw at us to hinder us from walking faithfully with Jesus. This peace is transcendent. It's not one that can, rem- it's, it's why we can remain still or at rest or at whole and secure amid any troubles. It's, under, it's ununderstandable in the sense of like, man, how can you be okay? Don't you see what you're going through? Don't you see all the problems that you have? Obviously, this is not a ignorant peace. No, 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 no. This isn't a passive peace. This is a peace that finds itself knowing who that person is and whom it is they're in. And that is Christ. This peace, by earthly means and understanding, does not and will not make sense. So don't expect it to. And Paul concludes in this very sentence by saying, the Lord be with you all. You see, much tension was occurring within the church at this time, given everything that was happening from the false teachers uh, to the idleness in the church to just the overall uh, distress of, of circumstances. But Paul yet desires that the Lord be with them all. This word all here is including all of them, even those he just finished exhorting the faithful and the idle, the confident and the doubter, the secure and the fearful, the weak and the strong. He wants all of them. He wants the Lord to be with them all because we all need the Lord in order for us to actually be at peace with one another. That's why he's saying this. May the Lord be with you all. There is no exception to whom he desires and whom he's asking the Lord to be with. No matter where you may find yourself right now, brother, in your faith or in your walk with the Lord, whether you're confident or whether you're afraid, whether you're faithful or you, whether you're idle in your walk with the Lord, whether you're weak or strong, wherever it is, the Lord be with you. And he gives you his peace. Hear his words when he tells you, come to me all who are labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. This peace is offered to all and is given to all who are in him. Why all? Because Paul knows that this peace that they're being called to, again, and to have with one another, right, amidst the conflict, is that it first comes from having it with the Lord. Our true peace comes from being in Christ and with Christ. When we know that the Lord of peace goes before us and is with us, we can stand assured of having peace at all times in every way, no matter who or what may be involved. It is why our peace shouldn't be an outcome of our comfort or lack of troubles, but rather an outward expression of our relationship with the Lord. The second point in verse 17, Paul goes on to say, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. Paul continues, right, in this because now he's starting to assert details of the inscription of this letter in every letter he writes. Now, why would he do that? Why would he want to go about adding these details about the fact that he's the one who's actually behind this letter? Well, as we've known, right, that there were false letters circulating around the church, either impersonating what Paul was saying or writing against what Paul was saying. 
In the English, this could also be, it could also be rendered as, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, and this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. For many reasons, it was common at that time to use what is called these, these individuals who would basically write for the author. And he would be somebody who would physically write out uh, what the author was dictating them to say. But in this case, Paul specifically is saying that, I, that he wrote this part right here, this benediction. Paul says that there was his distinguishing mark in all his letters so that this was a common practice whether or not he mentioned it in the letter. Paul calls specific attention to the fact that the benediction, this, this, this prayer, this closing, uh, was written by his own hand. Again, this would be due to the making, uh, making sure that they would not be fooled again by false teachers, claiming to have a letter from Paul or the other missionaries as we see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. I'm gonna read it real quick, and it says, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So he's saying, hey, this, these false letters moved the people. It really shook them up. It left them shaken in mind or in alarm. You know, they're in a state of, of anxiety or fear, of, of troubledness. And as we discussed again, and this is why he's wanting them to know this, right? And Paul wants to assure them, again, that what he is writing them is of the word of God by letting them know what the real thing looks like. Church, we should never get tired of overstating how important the word of God is to our walks and our discernment of the truth in the world full of lies. We should not. Sometimes we're like, I've already heard that, I get it, I need to read my Bible. And that's the problem. When we have a heart and an attitude towards it, we don't get it. Paul is letting them know that these individuals, despite them being there, Paul and the rest of these, Silas and Timothy, speaking to them, they still got fooled. But yet Paul is wanting to let them know these are the markings of what is really the true word. Again, why? Because he's wanting to mention that the letter's key markers of authenticity and genuineness can help. The reason why he mentions this, right? I was like, man, what is the relevancy of this in terms of what it is that I'm trying to, to, to communicate? Is like, well, he wants to inform us of the importance of knowing what the truth looks like and is. The fact that a lie left them all shaken. And now he's having to, again, come in here with the truth to bring peace to them. We cannot expect to be at peace when we're being informed by lies. Church, are you familiar with the word and you're able to distinguish what makes it true? Are you able to distinguish whether that is genuinely actually the word of God? It is important because our peace, or at least our sense of it, will either result from the truth of God and God's spirit at work in us, or it will result as a lie from the world and a deception on us. That's why it's important to know. That's why we must be able to distinguish what is true. And this is why Paul is letting them know, this is how you know, this is what you need to lean on. Not any of the other letters that you've already read or that you've heard that you're hearing about. No, no, this right here, this very moment, this letter, this should comfort you and keep you because it is the truth. And lastly, he goes on to verse 18 and it says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. 
Paul now concludes that the grace of our Lord Jesus be with us all. It was interesting because, man, at first I was like, this is, a, this is gonna be a quick, you know, a quick three verses. It was like, oh man, it's the shortest thing that I preached on, but it turned out to be way more. And I was like, oh man, I was just very taken by how in-depth this last verse really is and the implications of it. It can be easy to write off the significance of this last verse, given that we have the tendency to say, oh man, those are some really good feel spiritual words. The, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. It's a, it sounds nice, it sounds spiritual, and you know, it makes some people feel good, and we can just think that's all it was, right? But in reality, again, this right here, it is more than that. These words are the basis, are the basis, church, on what we should carry ourselves in and through in our lives till the Lord comes or he calls us to himself. These last words are the basis, are the foundation as to how we ought to carry ourselves in and through our lives till the Lord calls us or till he returns. Paul states that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is something that we have been given and stand on. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the grace, he's stating that this is something that they have, that's something they've gained access to, it's something that, 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 that they are able to stand on, and he desires for all of them to have it and to receive it. So what is this grace that we have, church? I know we all know because uh, what grace is, right? It's undeserved favor or unmerited favor. It is a gift from God and not from ourselves, right? This salvation, this faith. However, what is it? What does it mean when Paul says, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all? What does it look like for it to be with us? I'm gonna mention four things on what it looks like for us, this grace. It's not an exhaustive list, by the way, and then I don't, I don't want anybody to come to me at the end of the service and say, hey man, you missed something. This is not an exhaustive list, so this is just, uh, you know, which I appreciate everybody being on, you know, on alert with that, but this is not an exhaustive list, so just, just, just know that. So the first thing of what this is in terms of what does it mean, what does it look like for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be with us, the first thing is Christ himself. He is with us and for us. We have been given that which is infinitely priceless by all means and measures of value and worth. He is literally all in all. We have been given eternal life in Christ Jesus, reconciling us to the Father. This eternal life is knowing him and being with him. And this has happened by us being given the Holy Spirit who is God indwelling in us. So what does it look like for the grace of God to be with us? Is that he himself is with us. Church, we're fully known by him who has called us to himself. By the one that saved you and gave you life. That in doing so you may come to worship and delight in him who calls you his. This is grace with you. Hear the words of Jesus in John chapter 17, verse three. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the one, the only true God, and Jesus Christ in whom you've sent. 
Or at the end of Matthew chapter 28, verse 27, it says, for I will be with you to the end of the age. We see that grace here, eternal life, is God himself and God with us. The second thing of what it looks like for this grace to go along with us and to be with us is that your eternal standing with God is with you and for you. We are justified. We have been made righteous by the work of Christ, being in right standing with God the Father, forgiven of all our sins and trespasses, past, present, and future. There is nothing in which you can stand in that is outside of the justifying work of Jesus for you. That is what goes with you. That is the grace that goes with you, that you are in right standing with God through Christ. In Romans, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, do some, I'm gonna be referencing some verses here, but I think it's uh, definitely essential, so bear with me. So Romans chapter eight, verses one through four says this. There, this is therefore now, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. This is the grace that Paul is talking about that goes with us, that the, that the, that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with us is the fact that we are in eternal right standing with God the Father, no matter what you've done, no matter what you'll do, and no matter what's going on. You are no longer guilty. You're no longer condemned. You're not under wrath. For Christ paid it all. Church, you have been forgiven. There is no sin that the Lord has not paid for by way of his death. This is the grace that is with you. There is no sin that the Lord has not paid for. This is the grace that is with you. Third is our sanctification. The Spirit's continual work for us and with us. We have been brought to life, given a new heart, and desires to love and to live for the one who has called us. We've been given new hearts. We can do this. We can do this now. We can respond to God. But in addition to that, it is the continual work of the Holy Spirit in us that will bring to completion the work of fully and perfectly conforming us to the image of His Son. Christian, this sanctification is a work of grace that no matter what, He is at work in us day after day. And this sanctification is one that has been enabled and sustained by the work of Jesus for us. This is grace for you. No matter where you are, you can bank on the fact that God will continue his work in his people. Rejoice. Be at peace. Know that. Sometimes we're so inward in how we look at ourselves when it comes to the work that we haven't done. That we dismiss the work that the Lord is doing. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That is grace with you, the fact that the Lord will bring to completion his work and that he is working in you. And lastly, is loved. 
The love of the Father displayed by the work of the Son and sealed by the Holy Spirit is with us and for us. This is the grace that goes with us. We have been loved. We serve a God who is not impersonal or indifferent about the salvation of his people. We don't have a savior and a Lord who pities us or is disgusted by us or who looks down on us. No, we have a God who came down and put on flesh and came into his very own creation by becoming one of us in the form of a servant. And he came looking for us in the midst of our sin, in our mess, in our ugliness, in our brokenness, and found us and loved us and saved us. That is the grace that goes and is with you. Think about that. You're loved. That's the thing that we, we, we can't comprehend. Paul goes on to say, like, it is, the love of, it is the love of Christ that compels us to do the things that we do. If we don't understand the love of God for us through Christ Jesus, we won't ever be motivated. We won't ever want to desire to live for God. Because there's, there's something that we think can love us better or love us more. But we may not forget that the God that is, is, a, is a God who is holy and yet he came into his own creation and looked for us when we didn't want nothing to do with him. This is the love that he displays for us. And in Romans chapter five, verse eight, we see this because it says, but God demonstrates, meaning he shows us, not tells us, he shows us, he demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the grace that Paul wants these brothers to have and to be with them as they continue. He never knows, you know, might never see them again. And, and yet, in God's infinite wisdom and sovereignty, he knows exactly what to tell these brothers that will sustain them, whether Paul is or is not there. To know the grace of our Lord implies that we walk and move forward knowing that we have him and know him and that we stand forgiven before him and that we will not be left incomplete in the work that he himself has started and that his love has been shown to us to know him that he is for us. May this grace, church, be with you all. May our Lord grant you this grace that this peace that surpasses all understanding comes out of an implication of this grace that is with us and before us. And if you have not been walking in this grace and you've been attempting to find peace outside of the Lord, Christian, I plead with you, please turn and repent to the Lord of peace whose grace is with you. That this grace that we just talked about is yours to receive today that in his grace you may receive and find the peace that surpasses all understanding that leads you into life and into the rest that you so desperately need. And if you're not a Christian, thank you so much for being here. I, I really do mean that. Thank you. But I have to tell you that no matter what you do, no matter where you go, peace will only last as long as the thing in which you find it in. 
because any peace outside of the Lord of peace, who is the source of it, who is the substance of it, and to whom it belongs, will always fade. The peace that you are longing for and needing is the one that comes from him. The Bible tells us that we've all fallen short and that we have all are under wrath. We are at war with God. But I ask you that today, turn to Jesus, place your faith in him. Put your trust for your salvation so that you may be at peace with him who is the source of it. That knowing that through his life, death, and resurrection, he offers you this peace with God. And this peace is one that will guard you, sustain you, and keep you no matter what. Because it is an eternal peace. Now church, this is why Paul closes off with such words in order that these brothers and us may go in his grace to live for his glory and to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus to others that they may also know him and that the peace that they need they will be given through him. The peace for living in the present and the peace for our eternity. Let us pray. Father God, I just, I thank you. Uh, because your word, Lord, is, is infinite. Your word comforts us. Your word secures us. Today, Lord, we hear about this peace that you offer your people. We hear about this peace that you have given your people. And we come today, Lord. Everybody here in this building, Lord, I know in some way or another are either looking for peace, wanting peace, or don't have peace. Help us. Holy Spirit, bring us to hear your words that we may draw near to the throne of grace. That this peace that your word tells us of, that is ever present, that is whole and complete, and that is freeing, that that peace be the peace that we obtain this afternoon. And Lord, for those who don't know you, I pray that you move and that you press upon their hearts to know that peace is found in you to in whom it belongs to that they can try all that he all that he can and all that they want to find peace outside of you lord but peace starts with you and i ask that you bring them to that peace by them coming to know and put their trust in the lord jesus lord help your church to walk in this grace this ever awing grace that you have given us jesus this grace that shows us that we are loved by you. This grace, Lord, that shows us that you are with us, that you will continue to work in us no matter where, that you have fully and perfectly placed us with you in right standing, and that ultimately we have been given you, our Lord. Help us this afternoon to have that peace that surpasses all understanding.